Well, as Robert said, we're starting a brand new series called Making Change, and the title of today's sermon is Change Your Grip. Change Your Grip. If you want to follow along, we're going to be using Luke, the 20th chapter, starting with verse 45 through the first part of the 21st chapter. So turn there. As you probably have noticed, our society, with the help of things like Apple Pay and whatnot, we are moving away from where we give change to people. We are moving towards a changeless society. We don't give change out in transactions. In fact, there have been times where people have rounded up my change because they didn't have pennies to give me. You maybe have had that experience. There are places now that you cannot actually even use cash. If you've been to Rupp Arena for a sporting event or some concert, I was behind a couple, they waited in the line, they got there, they ordered, and then they handed cash and the lady said, we are cashless. And they walked away dejected. And I would have paid for it, but it was really an expensive. Uh, <laughs> it was really expensive. We, want, we, we are at a place right now where as, as kids, we probably would go somewhere and get changed for a dollar, especially if there were arcade games there. You remember those days? But we don't do that much anymore. We don't get changed for it. We don't need it to put in the uh, parking meter. We can do that digitally now. Everything seems to be moving away from giving change. We want change in a different way in our lives. You think about it. There are parts of this world that we would like to see change. There are parts of our lives that we'd like to see change. And we want to be part of that change a huge part of addressing both those desires, not just our own life, but the world, comes from a change that starts by examining our own hearts. Today we're starting this brand new series, as I mentioned, called Making Change. And through this series, we're gonna be diving into the biblical principles surrounding giving and generosity to find out what it means and how to make a change in our hearts so that it can make a change in our wallets and our pocketbooks, which will change the world. It'll change our lives. Now, I know some of you are thinking, oh, this series is about money. Hang with me. It's way more than just about money, and I hope you'll see that as we get further into this topic. As a kid in elementary school, did you have this experience? Gym class, elementary, you know, those epic battles of kickball or dodgeball, and the, the gym teacher, if you had a gym teacher like me, he would get two captains, and they would pick teams. You ever do that? Okay, thank you. Thank you. No one. Well, this is a testimony of my life, okay? As a kid, we would pick, and there would be, everybody would be lined up, and they would go, I'll take you, and I'll take you, and take you, and... The worst part of that experience is if you're the last person chosen. If you ever had that happen in your life, you know how humiliating it is when the guy says, okay, I'll take him and you can have the rest. <laughs> you're just part of the rest. It's like, what are we? Scraps. That's kind of how you felt, right? No one wants to be the last person chosen. And this is a key point throughout this entire series. It's this. We should put God first in every area of our lives, not just about finances and generosity, but in every area of our lives, 
We should put God first. He shouldn't be last. I think sometimes we treat God the way that we oftentimes find ourselves being chosen in a kickball game. When it comes to our finances, we treat God that way. We spend money on all kinds of things, shopping, bills, that's important, buying food, entertainment, all many other things. And then we get around to that kind of, okay, we'll give God a little consideration. In the same way, we don't want to be last. God doesn't want to be last either in any area of our lives. In fact, he expects us to consider him first. That's why he introduced us to the concept in the Old Testament called first fruits. Now, what are first fruits? Leviticus 23, verse 10 says this. Tell the Israelites, when you come to the land, I'm going to give you, and you harvest grain, bring the priest a bundle of the first grain you harvest. The concept of first fruits is rooted in biblical times when people were living in farming cultures. It was agrarian. Harvest time was significant because that's when the hard work of the farmers that they had poured into their crops all year began to pay off. God called his people to bring the first fruits, the first yield from their harvest to him as an offering. This was to demonstrate that the Israelites were obedient to God as well as reverent to him. It also showed that they trusted God. They trusted him to provide enough crops to provide for their family. The Hebrew word for first fruits is bikurim, which literally translates promise to come. First fruits were a promise, not a gift to God exclusively, but it was a promise of what was to come. The Israelites saw their first fruits as an investment in their future. God told them that if they brought their first fruits to him, he would bless all that came afterwards. Pretty good deal if you think about it. Today, giving our first fruits means giving our best to God. It means sacrificing that costs us something. It means putting Jesus first, even before ourselves and our families. This includes our finances, our time, our service. Includes a lot of things. Giving our best to God means putting God first. So if you have you have the scripture there in uh, Luke 20, we'll start with verse 45. Jesus points out that the religious leaders of that day were not putting God first in their lives. Now, every time we have one of these little, these little moments, Jesus is teaching his disciples. That's what this is about. He's teaching them how to live life. And he points out in chapter 20, verses 45, that these leaders were actually doing the opposite of putting God first. They were putting themselves first. And Jesus points out how they did it. Look at verse 45 through 47. He says, while all the people were listening, Jesus said to his disciples, beware of the teachers of the law. They like to walk around in flowing robes and love to be greeted with respect in the marketplaces and have the most important seats in the synagogues and the places of honor at banquets. They devour widows' houses and for a show make lengthy prayers. These men will be punished most severely. Now, the first thing that Jesus points out is as evidence that these religious leaders were not putting God first in their lives 
was how they wanted the attention to be focused on them at all times. They wore fancy clothes, big flowing robes, big attention draw. They demanded, they required the best seats at the banquet or in other gatherings. They wanted those things and they pursued them. The second thing we find out is they was how they took advantage of the under-resourced or the, those who were less fortunate by exploiting them. They were, they were seizing, they were stealing widows' homes because there was nobody there to fight for it. So they would take advantage of them. And the last point that they make out is maybe the worst, is he said they prayed for show. They would pray lengthy prayers. They would pray with dramatic pauses to draw the attention to them that would communicate to the people how spiritual they really were. These teachers of the law put themselves ahead of everyone, including God. And Jesus said that they would be severely punished because of it. They put themselves first, and in the process, they were stealing glory that was meant for the Lord. In the very next chapter... Jesus observed an offering moment of a poor widow. Now, you, you do know that those chapter breaks were put in later, right? This was one long narrative. So we go from verses, the, verses 45 through 47 right into verses 1 and 2. There's no break there. And this is what we read here. As Jesus observes this, this widow, he write, we, we read, Luke writes, he says, As Jesus looked up, He saw the rich putting their gifts into the temple treasury. He also saw a poor widow put in two very small copper coins. Now, Jesus, again, is teaching his disciples this is how we live. He wants them to understand something that would not be obvious to most of us. And it's at that temple the people came to give their offerings, right? And there's 13 different receptacles that were called trumpets. Okay, that was the, they had, over time they had kind of reduced the name down. They just called them trumpets. And the reason was is they kind of looked like a trumpet, right? There were 13 of them in the temple. And they were designed for different offerings. Each one was for a different offering or a different tax. So it was common for people to come and put some money in a number of those different trumpets. Many wealthy people came to worship that day with their offerings, and they dropped large amounts of money into the trumpets. Now, I want you to imagine what the sound would have been like if you were in the temple with Jesus and his disciples. They didn't have a lot of money, but somebody comes in, and they come to one of the trumpets, and you could hear this, And then they go to another trumpet, and you would hear this. That was for the youth program, I'm sure. (laughs) Now for worship. You get the idea, right? The longer the person poured, the more attention would be given to that the more attention that that gift would garner because people could hear it and they would take notice of that. And then this poor widow comes and she comes into the temple probably unnoticed by everyone. 
except Jesus. She made her way to the trumpets, and she dropped in her two lepta into the offering receptacle. A lepta is often called a mite as well. It's a small copper coin whose value is worth six minutes of a day's wage. Okay, so if you worked six minutes, you would get one lepta. That was the standard. It's the equivalent of one-eighth of our penny. It's not very valuable. Obviously, the amount she gave was small. It was small, but not insignificant, at least not to Jesus. Her coins would have made very little sound as she gave them. Imagine, this is what you hear. That's it. No big deal. Nobody's taking notice of that. With all the people giving their offerings that day, it's significant that it was the widow's offering that caught Jesus' eye. The widow's offering was just the two leptas. So why was Jesus making such a big deal about this widow's offering? Well, let's let him explain it in verses 3 and 4 of chapter 21. Truly I tell you, he said, this poor widow has put in more than all the others. All these people gave their gifts out of their wealth, but she, out of her poverty, put in all she had to live on. Jesus wanted his disciples to identify that it wasn't the amount of the gift that he was recognizing or he found important. It was the size of the sacrifice. You see, she gave all she had. That's what Jesus said. That's all she had, just those two copper coins. That's why Jesus was making such a big deal about her gift. Now, this doesn't mean God wants you to give all that we have until we have nothing. That's not the point of this teaching. It does, however, introduce us to a new way of thinking about our giving. Does it entail sacrifice? Putting in all she had to live on. That's how Jesus described it. The widow gave sacrificially, not knowing what she could have, what she would have for her next meal. The rich who gave out of their wealth, out of their wealth, that's what Jesus described their gifts as, might have given up a luxury or two, but they sacrificed little compared to what the widow was sacrificing. The only way the widow was able to give sacrificially was by faith. She was trusting that God would have her back in what would come next in her life. So this lesson of her gift is an important one, and it means this. Giving sacrificially requires that we trust God to provide. If we give till it cuts into our reserve or what we have need to, to, to pay bills with, we're going to have to trust the Lord. And, and I know some of you go, that's crazy. Who would do that? But there are people who sacrifice for kingdom purposes all the time, and they're not sure what the next chapter will look like as far as funding, but what they have found is that God is faithful to their generosity, their sacrificial gift. Let me illustrate it this way. You remember the story of a father 
who was asked by God to sacrifice his son. Probably many of you know the story of Abraham and his son Isaac. The first time, actually, I found this interesting, the first time the word love is used in the Bible is found in Genesis 22, verse 2, where Abraham is talking about how much he loves his son. That's the first time the Bible uses the word love. When Abraham and his son Isaac arrive at the location where the sacrifice is going to take place, Isaac is a smart young man, and he realizes that they have everything for the sacrifice except the lamb that was necessary to sacrifice on the altar. And so he asks his father, and Abraham replies to him, God will provide. God will provide the lamb. And here's what happened. In verses 13 and 14 of Genesis 22, we read, Abraham looked up, and there in the thicket he saw a ram caught by its horns. He went over and took the ram and sacrificed it as a burnt offering instead of his son. So Abraham called that place, the Lord will provide. Will you say that with me? The Lord will provide. It's interesting that phrase, the Lord will provide, in Hebrew is Jehovah Jireh. It can also be translated, the Lord our provider. And I wonder, I wonder how well we're, we're familiar with that aspect of God's character. That's a name for God, Jehovah Jireh, the Lord will provide. Have you discovered that God still provides for his people today? Or have we become so self-sufficient and self-reliant that we don't need to tap into that? Have you learned that God's provision is enough to meet the deep needs of your life, not just financial? He's a provider for every area of your life. The same person who provided a ram for Abraham can provide for you today. He is still Jehovah Jireh, the Lord our provider. The widow gave all she had because she trusted Jehovah Jireh. We don't know much about her, but her gift caught the attention of Jesus because she gave sacrificially. She had every right to keep those two copper coins to herself, but she didn't. Instead, they were her offering to the Lord, and it's important to recognize that. Jesus wasn't being critical of those who were giving their offerings that day, who gave generous offerings, but not sacrificial. There's nothing wrong with that. Many were bringing their tithes, one-tenth of their income and their offerings as the law had instructed them to give. But it was the widow's faith and her sacrifice that stood out to Jesus when she gave all that she had. How crazy would it be to do something ridiculous like that. Well, in 2019, we had a special offering that we took, some of you will remember, to eliminate debt. We called it the More Than Initiative, and a number of you gave generously in that, and we're where we are today in many respects because of the generosity of this body. I was told a story about a lady, though, who was just off the chain when it came to generosity. She prepared a gift, a sacrificial gift for that offering. And every time I preached a, ta- a sermon in that series leading up to the Commitment Sunday, she would change her offering amount. I didn't know it at the time. But 
One of her family members said, she keeps adding to it every time you preach. I thought, I'm going to preach till the dead is gone. <laughs> I'm going to her house every day to just preach. Well, something happened during that season. She got her 2019 disbursement from her retirement fund. Now, she, was, she lives a very frugal life. She doesn't, she's not very, uh, she doesn't live, you know, lavishly. She's very generous. But she, she has not needed that disbursement over the years. And so what she has done is she's put it into her grandson's college fund. But she had just learned weeks before that her grandson was going to be getting a full-ride scholarship. So he doesn't need the money. And so she felt like God was saying to her, add that to the offering. By the time we came to Commitment Sunday, this lady gave a ridiculously generous gift, far beyond where she started because she was walking by faith. Lord, what would you have me to give? And he kept answering that for her. You know, the example of this widow in Luke 21 shows us that giving, it's a voluntary gesture, which I want to emphasize real quick, which is your out clause. If you come here thinking, oh, he's going to manipulate me, oh, I'm not. That is not my heart. It is a voluntary thing that comes from your heart. We'll see that in just a minute. This gesture of this widow was one that it took faith because she trusted in the Lord. That was where her faith was. She shows us that anyone can participate in funding. Even two copper coins were significant in the kingdom treasury because Jesus was watching it. The widow shows that every offering matters to God. Everyone. Some of you might think at times, this, will not, this doesn't, won't make any difference. It's not about what you think it is. It's about your relationship with the Lord and what he's prompting and leading you to do. He takes notice, and his work is glorified when you and I offer him our very best. So how do we live like that widow? How do we trust God to provide? Well, I think that requires us changing something. The grip that we hold things that we value the most. Tom Watson is a PGA champion. He has eight major championships to his name. He's really, truthfully, one of the great guys in professional golf. And he knows a few things about golf. Uh, recently, I was reading about his, he was writing about how you're to grip a golf club. And this is what he writes about. He says, if I could check your grip pressure, I'm pretty sure it would be too tight. You're, you're squeezing the club too tightly. And then you wouldn't be able to make a rhythmic swing or get the best accuracy and distance. And he goes on to explain how to hold the club loosely for maximum control and maximum distance. You know, your grip is important to be successful in golf. A lot of you already knew that. But it's also vitally important in how we hold things that we value. Human instinct would tell us, clutch those things very tightly, the things that we value most. But holding them loosely requires that we will trust God if 
he decides to take that from us. Living like this is a helpful model of faith to our family and to those living around us. I can think of no better way to teach our kids about the God we worship than by modeling our trust in him day to day. I love the poem by Edward Guest, who wrote these lines in the poem titled, Sermons We See. I don't quote poems very often, but this one goes to the core of my childhood. If you'll allow me, I'll read the first stanza. He says simply this, I'd rather see a sermon than hear one any day. I'd rather one should walk with me than merely tell the way. The eyes a better pupil and more willing than the ear. Fine counsel is confusing, but examples always clear. And the best of all the preachers are the men who live their creeds. For to see good put into action is what everybody needs. I love those words. I think the widow's offering is an example of that. It's a remarkable example that Jesus points out to his disciples. She put God first. Her faith in God is evident. She held on to her wealth with a loose grip. No one would have faulted her if she'd have just gone to the temple that day and not put anything in the offering. Two copper coins, no big deal. But that wasn't her. Chuck Swindoll writes about this. He says, anything we hold dear, we must learn to hold loosely. And then he says, let's face it, if we hold anything too tightly, it probably has us rather than our having it. Ultimately, the decision to hold anything loosely is an act of faith. I think the author and Holocaust survivor, Corey Timboom, would agree with Swindoll. She said, I've learned that we must hold everything loosely because when I grip it tightly, it hurts when the Father pries my fingers loose and takes it from me. You see, that's a reality in life. We can lose a fortune we can lose a car, we can lose a loved one, and we can't control that. What we can control is how tightly we hold or how loosely we hold onto those things. When we hold on to anything with a tight grip, it's most likely an indication that we put our faith in that item rather than in the Lord. So, we should put our faith in Jesus, and here's why. Because God is always faithful. We can trust God because he is always faithful. 2 Thessalonians 3.3 says, but the Lord is faithful and he will strengthen you and protect you from the evil one. Lamentations 3, 20, 23, 22, and 23, excuse me. Because of the Lord's great love, we are not consumed for his compassions never fail. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. God is faithful and promises to always be faithful. And we've seen God's faithfulness here in this church. We have. And if you'll indulge me just for a moment, I'd love to testify to you about the goodness of God's faithfulness. 
In 2019, for years, Northeast had been stuck in a loan that had no realistic possibilities of us ever paying it off. And I am not being, I'm not being dramatic about it. We were stuck. And then in July of 19, Christian Financial Resources, many of you know, bought our debt from the bank, saving us $3.4 million. Darren Key, who's the CEO of Christian Financial Resources, said this to me. I've been doing this for 25 years, and I've never seen a bank take that large of a write-down before. I think this is a miracle of God. We currently owe $4.847 million, which is far less than what we did at the start of 2019. God provided because God is faithful. Well, that's not the only time. In 2020, some of you remember what happened in 2020, March of that year? Yeah, fun times started happening, right? We applied that year for something we never thought we'd ever be involved in, the federal government. We applied for Paycheck Protection Program. Some of you remember that, PPP. And in April of that year, we received $141,800 from the federal government. That was a government loan, which then eventually was forgiven. And I will tell you this, never in my 41 years of ministry has the government given money to the church, but that's what happened in 2022. God provided. God is faithful. And sometimes he gets the government to pay for it. (laughs) In fact, we saw that in 2022. In August of that year, we applied for the Employment Retention Tax Credit, ERTC, I didn't know, there's more money out there than you realize. And if you work in government, you should have told us about it, you know? (laughs) We were approved and we received $191,200. And then later in that year, we applied for the Kentucky Nonprofit Assistance Fund. And two months later, we received $100,000. All of those came at just the right time to fix an HVAC system or to help us meet payroll. Again, God provided because God is faithful. And then this is the craziest thing. And I'm only giving you uh, the, I'm just giving you the highlights. On March of this year, the third of this year, some of you will remember we had a massive windstorm. You remember that? And during the storm, part of the flashing on our roof was torn off and it damaged our roof on our gym. The insurance adjuster determined that we needed to repair only 20 feet of the roof, but he wanted to talk to our roofing contractor before they issued a check. And so we contacted the roofer who had installed the existing roof on the gym, asking him to come and give us an estimate, but he was too busy. So he gave us the name of another contractor who came, and in his opinion, he recommended that the entire roof needed to be repaired, replaced. So his report was sent to the insurance company, and they agreed to replace the entire roof. And so they sent us a check for $190,702.26. We had to wait for that contractor to get us scheduled on his schedule because there were so many roofs needing repaired. Anybody testify to that? Yeah, 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 we did that too. During this time, we received a call from our first contractor, you with me still? Who told us that he would schedule us if we wanted him to. Well, since he is the company that we've been working with 
on our roofs for a while now. We scheduled him, and he came out to assess the roof, and he told us that we didn't need to repair the entire roof, just the 20 feet that was damaged. Because of the history that we have with this contractor and the flawless work that he's done for us in the past, and after some discussion internally, we decided to repair just the 20 feet. The total cost of this repair was $31,700. Remember that big fat check they sent us? Yeah, we're going to have to give some of that back. So our executive minister, Keith Parrish, contacted our insurance company, explained this entire situation and how, how do we need to return that money, to which the insurance company explained that they had assessed that to make the roof repair as they saw it, we needed to replace the entire roof. So if we choose not to repair the entire roof, we're not required to return the money. So here's the math, 159,000. So not only is the government paying us, but now the insurance company is paying us. Now, some of you, okay, yeah, give it, stick it to the man, right? Okay, here's, here's the thing before you, you revolt, okay? Um, I know some of you are going, well, that's not very responsible. <laughs> yeah. And that's right, that is in a designated fund. We're just waiting to see if there's a problem with the roof, okay? We got the money to cover it if we do. Here, here's my point. God provided every year since 2019, and we could go back. We could go back. I have a list in my prayer journal of what I call Red Sea moments where God showed up and did something crazy, and it goes all the way back. Um, it's, an amazing, it's an amazing list. God is provided because God is faithful. Now, here's what I want you to hear. God is investing in this church. We could ask the question why, I don't get it, I don't understand, it doesn't make sense. But the truth of the matter is he's investing here. Jehovah Jireh is the Lord, our provider, and he continues to provide for us to meet our needs. God is investing here so others will know about Jesus. That's a fundamental reason, I believe it with all my heart. Wouldn't you wanna invest in the mission that he's supporting? I hope you'd say yes to that. One way to intentionally loosen your grip is by taking a step of generosity by investing in the mission that God is supporting. Now, I wanna encourage you today to consider taking a step to change your grip on your resources. Now, this is between you and God. I'm not asking to sign anything or sign up to do anything. I just want you to prayerfully think about where God has you and where he is leading you. Let me give you four steps you could take. If you've never given to the work of God through his church, I wanna encourage you to consider taking a step today and give something, give anything, to invest in God's work. Maybe, maybe you, you've given before, so the step that I would encourage you to take is decide to give a Gift regularly. You've given before, but do it regularly. Once a month, every other week, maybe every week, depending on your, the way your check comes. If you're a regular giver, then I want to encourage you to take a step of faith and start tithing. That's, tithing is giving a tenth of what you've earned and just trusting God in that. And if you're already a tither, then I would encourage you to take a step to give 
a generosity gift. That might be an end-of-the-year gift over and above your tithe, or maybe, maybe take a step to increase your tithe at 11% or 12% or maybe even more. Whatever the case is, take a step. Take a step. Loosen your grip on your resources by taking a step of generosity, by investing in the mission that God himself is supporting. Let me close with this. Why does giving a tithe or an offering matter? Why does it matter? Why does loosening your grip on your resources and investing in the mission of God, why, is, why, is, why does that matter? Why does that matter? Here's why. When we take a step of faith to be generous, we're demonstrating to God that we are willing to trust him with even more of our life. Now, maybe we do that incrementally over time, but we're moving the boundary there. God doesn't need our money to supply the needs of his church or missionaries or the food bank or so students can attend summer CIY conferences or kids can attend 7-Eleven camp. God doesn't need our money to pay a widow's rent out of our benevolence fund or to throw the block party or to provide marriage counseling for a couple in crisis. God doesn't need our money. As we saw through the examples of God's faithfulness, God can get money from wherever and whenever it's needed. But God invites you and I to invest in his work so that we can be part of other people coming to faith in Jesus. We give because of Jesus. Just as worship and preaching and communion are all about Jesus, so it is with giving. As I said earlier, God is investing here so that people will know Jesus. So don't we want to invest in what God is investing in? Jesus said in Matthew 6, 21, for where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. So the question we all have to ask at one point in our lives is where is your treasure? When giving is all about Jesus, then I will invest my treasure where Jesus is being taught and glorified. And please don't think, Again, this message is about your money. It's actually about Jesus and your heart. It's about hearts that glorify Jesus. It's about telling others about Jesus. It's always all about Jesus. So, if you've never heard it before, I want you to hear it from me for the first time. Jesus loves you. And this place is all about you knowing that. Jesus came to this earth to save man from eternal death. He died on the cross to wash away our sins. But you have to accept that gift from Jesus. If you want your sins forgiven, you want heaven to be part of your eternity, if you want to become a member of the family of God, that's why we're here. And I'd love to talk to you right down here at the close of the service because it's all about Jesus. It's not about my money. It's not about your money. It's really about Jesus. Let's pray together. Father, I thank you that this church is about you. Guide us so that every step we take is about Jesus. God, you've been faithful to us. You've provided when 
we've had a need and you deserve our praise for that, Lord. We just say hallelujah for your generosity and your faithfulness. You deserve to be first in our lives. Forgive us when we put other things in that place. Lord, help us to choose you first over this world. You are Jehovah Jireh, and as you give, Lord, strengthen our faith. As we give, Lord, strengthen our faith. Help us to hold everything loosely, confident that you are our provider. Lord, help us to take a step, not for my glory, for our glory, Lord, for your, for your glory. And for those who haven't chosen Jesus as their Lord yet, prepare their heart to choose him, to accept his forgiveness. I pray in his precious name, the name of Jesus.